you know, I, I would like to interject that my wife is infinitely manlier than I am. <laughs> Monster Island Resort listeners, and thank you for once again hitting the play button on another episode of the Monster Island Resort, your online radio show that goes bump in the night. My name is Miguel Rodriguez, and I am your host discussing horror in history, art, literature, film, and beyond. Today I'm going to give my reaction to something a little different, and I think we can firmly place this in the category of discussing horror in art. I know many people would be hard-pressed to call it horror once they've experienced what I'm about to discuss, including perhaps even those who are involved in the production of the piece that is the center of my discussion, but people's definition of horror is always different, and in my own broad approach... I am given leave to include it in my horror podcast. The piece in question is a brand new and unapologetically independent rock and roll circus show called Shapeshifter, which opened this past weekend, a venue called Way Too Much Entertainment in Los Angeles, California. I went into the show knowing only a couple of things. One, it would be centered around a live, onstage performance of a band called The Shakers, and two, It would include some aerial acrobatics. The only thing I knew for sure was that at least one of the aerialists in question would provide a great spectacle, and that's because I've seen her at work before. Her name is Jordan Baker, and she's the director of the show, and I met her through her husband, Graham Skipper, who actually has been a guest on this podcast in the past, discussing his brilliant portrayal of mad scientist Herbert West in Reanimator the Musical. We made a night of it, as any two-hour trip to Los Angeles would demand, including a fine dinner at Mohawk Bend with an even finer group of friends. Thanks, of course, to Tiffany, Tony and Katie O'Brien, Paul and Lori Wee, and Lori's brother Rory for the grand company. Following dinner, it was off to way too much entertainment, a place known in Los Angeles for formerly hosting the Derby Dolls roller derby team, but apparently it does quite a lot of unique events. As we entered the building, we could see this promise to be deserving of the term unique. Waiting to check us in, wearing a sparkling white jacket and glowing top hat, was Graham Skipper himself. The place was lit by a few carefully placed colored lights. It was dark enough for the mood to have a sort of magical sinister quality, but specifically placed to highlight some of the art team's set work. Other than the stage for the band, there was a sort of runway addition that ran perpendicular to the stage, a white cage dangling from the ceiling that housed the sound and lights engineer, a very large and perpetually spinning carousel of glittering white horses, and other esoteric shapes and installations. It was certainly independently staged, but it did have that odd quality of a fairy tale, in the classic, slightly awry sense. Audience members were encouraged to write down a major trouble in their lives on a piece of paper, a growing collection of maledictions that made their way into the live show later on. Depending on the tickets purchased, one could choose between standing or sitting. 
Graham encouraged me to go for standing because he said it would enhance the live-act show they were going for, as well as making all the set pieces easier to take in at once. This assertion was agreed upon by his co-producer and former Reanimator the Musical actor, Brian Gillespie. As it turns out, it was also confirmed by the experience of having a 360-degree turning space on foot, allowing me to see details that would have been obscured from the chair. The show itself began with some ethereal sounds as the actor-acrobats filed into the room and hoisted themselves into place on the spinning carousel above our heads. As I expected, most of the spectacle would entail looking up at people who seemed to defy gravity on straps, curtains of silk, or large rings. All movements are thenceforth governed by the sounds coming from the band, the Shakers, who take to the stage adorned in costumes as theatrical as the acrobats, but in a different, more rock-and-roll-centric kind of way. I'll start this reaction by talking a little bit about them. The Shakers is a four-piece, female-fronted rock and roll band who are not afraid of displaying their bluesy influences. Singer Jody Shell, who goes by the name The Shaman, is not shy about moving around the stage or taking to the runway when she feels the need. The vocals are kind of a sonic blast, and they accompany the distortion rock surrounding her. Most of the songs have swaying rhythm and blues beats that suddenly explode into raw energy as the songs go on. songs provide a soundtrack for the spectacle of the aerialists, who not only choreographed some truly stunning sequences and circus stunts while dangling high above the audience's heads, but also attempt to tell a story while doing so. It is a sort of body language storytelling. How does this fit in with the horror theme of my show? I think for a number of reasons. First of all, the whole story seems to be about exercising demons. External demons as well as internal demons. This is all metaphorical, of course, in the show, but to me, the best horror can offer is the opportunity to do just that, help us come to terms with, to exercise our own demons. Shapeshifter also has some imagery that would be recognizable to horror fans, not limited, of course, to the inherent dread that we get when confronted with childhood items like the carousel horses when presented in a certain light. How many horror movies have dolls, toys, and circuses depicted in this way? The lighting and the mood of Shapeshifter lends the white, glittery shapes of the production an ethereal and even spooky quality. There's also the question of the character Kali, who ostensibly plays the villain of the piece, and who first appears wearing large, demonic horns on his head, silhouetted backlit in an open doorway. This particular image is one of the things that would have been more obscured had I been sitting in the seats, but was far more visible from my standing position, and was one of the more striking horror images of the show. There is another trope of horror, and that is, of course, the jump scare. It's that moment where the movie says boo, and people jump in their seats before snickering at their own gullibility, or the gullibility of their friends. Those moments are often written off as cheap, and they usually are, but they are also definitely fun, and one of the reasons a lot of people see horror movies. 
Shapeshifter includes a certain amount of those types of moments, but their moments are in the form of watching Speechless as the aerialists soar overhead, spinning and contorting their bodies mid-air, before allowing themselves to drop a few feet, sending gasps through the audience. It is those moments that make a heart skip a beat, or hands clench with greater tension. The music from the band lends the proper beats to those moments to intensify the feelings. Whether or not you would necessarily call Shapeshifter a horror show is secondary to a more important point. It is a unique experience that one would be hard-pressed to find elsewhere. The fact that it is produced in a completely independent DIY fashion by the aerialists themselves, directed by aerialist Jordan Baker, in collaboration with the band The Shakers, is extremely impressive. I am putting this episode online on Memorial Day in 2014. If you catch this episode before the weekend, and if you live anywhere near Los Angeles, do yourself a favor. You have a chance to catch their last shows at Way Too Much Entertainment on May 30th and 31st. Go see something new. Now, I also got a chance to talk a little bit with director Jordan, her producer and husband Graham, and their co-producer Brian Gillespie after the show. At this point, let's see what they had to say. part in making all this happen. My name is Jordan Baker. I am the creator, director, producer, performer of Shapeshifter. I am Graham Skipper. I am the husband of the huh. of the uh, creator, director, writer, of uh, actor in this, and I am also one of the producers of Shapeshifter. Top hat wearer. House manager. And, and house manager. And housekeeper. Well, uh, I try. <laughs> And I am Brian Gillespie, and I am one of the producers as well, and also one of the rigging specialists for the show. Rigging specialists. And, and, and he is also a production designer, one of the production designers. Yes. I was hoping you'd say tugger. <laughs> this is actually a fortuitous time for me to include something like this, which is a unique inclusion in my show, which deals with horror genre stuff. However, I think it fits... And we'll see how, how this goes as you discuss the story. But episode before last, I talk about the Godzilla movie, the new Godzilla movie. How does this fit? Okay, so this is how it fits. I end by discussing how I view the classic Japanese way of Godzilla, man in suit, miniatures and such, and how it has roots in no, Japanese no dance tradition, as well as kabuki, which is another Japanese interpretive dance tradition and how that's how it should be viewed rather than as a movie that people think is real. So now we have Shapeshifter, which has a lot of interpretive dance elements. So it fits, actually, with that line of reasoning, body language being a form of storytelling. That being said, which one of you came up with the underlying story of Shapeshifter, and does it come from the band, the Shakers, does it come from their lyrical content? 
I developed the storyline of Shapeshifter, and yeah, it was inspired by the music of the Shakers, but it's also inspired by a universal struggle of humanity to confront your inner demons and find your inner light, those things in life that, that make you happy and being able to embrace that. The story's coming from many places. It's not a, not a new one. We've been a fan of the Shakers for a long time, and when we saw a show here at Way Too Much Entertainment, and immediately Jordan said, I want to do a show here, and immediately we said, oh yeah, well, we've got to involve the Shakers. And as we sat down, and the Re Rescue Team is their latest album, and which is what all the songs in the show are from. And what that album is, in, in the words of Jody, the, the shaman, I'll, I'll butcher her words, but is that Rescue Team is about you're going to face a lot of villains in your life, and sometimes the villain is inside you, and when you need to overcome those, those troubles, that you need to call on your rescue team to come in and your friends and your loved ones to come in and boost you up and help you get through that. And I think that that was a big inspiration going into making Shapeshifter of being able to find strength within yourself to overcome your demons. Yeah. The whole concept of marrying movement and music to tell a story is, is something that we had been talking about for a while. We had brainstormed or talked about a different show that was more dance involved peripherally and then Jordan called me up and she said, come on over and we want to talk about something similar but a little bit different. And having the aerialists tell the story just heightened it enough where it sold the idea to me that the physicality could tell the story. And Jody, I, I've worked with her for a lot of years and I've directed her so I knew she was that exact person to tell this story and act the way we would need her to act in order to get the flow and trajectory of the story across. As you're talking about the aerialists, this is really going to be more of a Jordan question. When choreographing, do you choreograph yourself or, or everybody? I have choreographed some of the group pieces and some of the pieces that I'm not in. I told the performers what I wanted and the overall story arc that I wanted them to express, but everybody worked on their own choreography. Okay, so some creative freedom there. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so I guess the discussion is, when choreographing your piece, the actual physicality. Some of the, the movements are quite precarious, and there are parts where people's hearts stop, and how much of that is to reflect exactly what's going on in the story at that part, and how much of that is marrying your personal experiences with what the Shakers are singing about? This whole story of Shapeshifter is a very personal one to me, something that I wanted to express through the show and through my choreography. I love performing aerial, I love tricks, I love the dance aspects of it, I love the theatrical aspects of it, but to me it's the most powerful when you can convey a story through aerial. So it's definitely my hope that the story comes through in, in my movements, in the tension that we create through circus, through moves that are big and wild and crazy, and moves that create a feeling of suspense and tension, and I, I hope that that came through with what was going on tonight. Well, there's definitely, and I know I see Brian over there. It's like, hey, I got something to say. But there, I do want to say, there's de there are definitely moments where things suddenly slow down and suddenly pick up. And I do think in, in those moments, something is communicated. Of course, I don't know how literal my interpretation is and how literal your movements connect with any kind of story you're trying to tell. But the emotion is there. Just something you had said there about building the story in. I've been watching circus and especially Jordan and performers do aerial circus for a while and one of the greatest joys that was a surprise to me was when I first saw the thundercloud choreography because it was it's probably the first and best example 
of marrying a story beat with circus feats, if that makes sense. Like, you have these amazing tricks that are death-defying, but then you also have these languid movements and this connection between the two performers that tells the exact story. And when I first saw that, I was like, I'm getting chills now just thinking about it, because it finally smoothly married the two worlds, and it it just excited me to no end to see that. Where it goes beyond a stunt and actually conveys meaning. Exactly. Right. I know that you raised the funds on this fairly recently for, for Kickstarter. This is only a two-weekend show. So that's why I wanted to get this show out before next weekend, which, by the way, there are two other shows next Friday and Saturday, uh, the 30th and 31st of May. So uh, if anyone is within 150 miles of L.A., you should go check this out because it is a unique experience. But would you consider, if this does better than maybe you hoped, extending it or doing something similar to this in the future? Oh, I definitely hope that this isn't the first time that this show happens. I would love to do another run or tour it. Well, I don't know about an extension this time around. It's a lot of people to coordinate a schedule. But yeah, I definitely have a grand vision for this show and would love to take it on the road and see it grow further. How were you able to get the venue and what goes into... I can't help but ask this question. The safety of putting on an independent, because this is a total, it's not like you're going to Cirque du Soleil or something. This is a very independent, very DIY production in a, essentially what's a warehouse. So what is your experience with the pre-production that goes into setting things up, set building, and rigging it so no one breaks their neck? Yeah, there's so much behind the scenes to make a show like this happen. Rigging, of course, being number one for everybody's safety. This space belongs to way too much entertainment, and they're familiar with aerial performance, and they have some trusses here inside that are able to support the kind of loads that we create in our drops and our movements, which can be thousands of pounds. So it's important always to to know your rigging, and if you don't know your rigging, to bring somebody in who does, and to just check all your check marks and make sure everything is good to go. I spent a whole day running around town to buy a 27 30 seconds size concrete drill bit so that I could install a 5 eighths inch drop-in floor anchor because the half inch wasn't going to do. So it's, you know, it's I would like to interject that my wife is infinitely manlier than I am. <laughs> Everybody knew that and didn't know really need you to hear that. Uh, but I will change the word manly to extraordinarily tough. Yeah. So yeah, rigging is super important. I mean, uh, all my performers' safety, all my friends' safety, my safety, can't take the backseat to anything. So there's a lot to, to figure out, the right questions to ask. It's fortunate that we had a venue that was able to accommodate this type of show. Yeah, definitely. The performers who are also in the show, part of the show, have you been working with them for a long time, or was this kind of a casting call deal? Um, No, they're all people I know who I specifically asked to to join me in the show. Friends of mine who are professional aerialists, some people who I train with at Cirque School LA where I teach classes. There were certain certain roles that I wanted to fill, and so therefore certain people who I I felt like fitted best, and those are the people I went to and, and approached to be in the show. And pretty much everybody was accommodating towards something like this, schedule-wise. And oh, yeah. Everybody was, was really excited and wanted to make this happen and wanted to be a part of it. And it's a, a real pleasure to work with everybody in this process. The show itself is a melding of a rock show and aerial acrobatics, which is something I haven't seen before. But I have noticed that aerial acrobatics is experiencing a sort of renaissance in the last few years. 
how do you account for the sudden, I see it in movies now, where you wouldn't see it before, and, and sometimes you'll go to clubs and you'll see aerial acrobatics where they weren't American before. American Horror Story. American Horror Story, version. precisely, yeah. exactly. Circus is definitely experiencing a, a comeback in the U.S. Circus in the U.S. is kind of a bit of a different tale than circus in Europe and other places. There's old circus, like, like Ringling Brothers, stunt type things. And then there's New Circus, which has been proliferated by the popularity of Cirque du Soleil, where it's a bit more of a theatrical experience. So I think it's partly that company that's had so much success as you know, a lot of people have seen Cirque shows before. And it's also many of these art forms, especially Aerial Silks, which is my favorite apparatus. Aerial Silks was invented in like the mid-80s. So it's a new craft that's still coming about. I started doing Aerial eight years ago in New York City, kind of out of the blue. And Eight and years ago? Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. And even just in, in my time in New York, which was five years before moving here three years ago, I went from just a handful of people who I knew who did it already and, and I started to teaching hundreds of people myself. So it's definitely exploding. It's one of those things where you try it and either it's totally not for you or you dedicate your life to it. Right, you fall in love with it. Yeah. Do you still have vertebrae? Um, they're, they require maintenance. <laughs> Brian? I think, uh, especially in Los Angeles, people are hungry, hungry for something they haven't seen before, a sort of live performance that they haven't been able to come and see, and, and this sort of aerial circus it fits that bill exactly, and that's really why people, that's the biggest reaction that we're getting, is people are saying, I've never seen something like this, so that means we're doing something right, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I have one more thing, and then I'm going to let you go, because Jack Bennett asked me if I'd ask you this. Would you ever consider working in a monster suit in a movie? Oh, my God, I would love that. That would be so much fun. Well, we both think you'd be perfect. Oh, I'm really excited about that. That sounds awesome. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Jack, you hear that? Blood and guts, you listen. I'm ready. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you guys for talking about Shapeshifter. Everyone listening, I'll tell you more later. Thank you so much. Thank that you. was great. Thank you. Thank you. So get out there to your adoring public. Yeah, yeah. This was so wonderful. Yeah, thank you thank so much. You. That was such a great conversation about it, yeah. too. Once again, you can watch Shapeshifter at Way Too Much Entertainment in Los Angeles this weekend. You will definitely have something to see and also to talk about when the show is over. Thanks for listening to the Monster Island Resort again and allowing me to give a voice to something unique and interesting even for my show. If you have a reaction to this particular episode or if you want to see Shapeshifter and you'd like to share your own experience, you can email or join the conversation on Twitter. I am at Monster Resort. You can also like Shapeshifter Circus on Facebook as well, of course, Monster Island Resort on Facebook. That's it for now, Monster Island fans. Until next episode, stay scared.